The scripture for today's sermon comes from 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. The word of God speaks to us like this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace, all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is the very word of God to us. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. And whether or not this is your first time or you've been here with us, you've been in and out this summer, uh, I just want to jump in. I just pretty much want to dive in, let you know where we've been We've been in this sermon series around rhythms of grace, these good things that God has given us for our forming, for our, our, our being shaped more and more into his image. We talked about things like work and rest. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about reading our Bible as, as more than just duties that we have, but actually things that form us, that are graces upon our life. And Last week we talked about the Lord's Day, like actually gathering on Sundays for this. We've got another one next week, but this, this morning we're going to just dive in around the idea of generosity as a grace from God. And I want to do some work there. It's actually a topic that when we, we start bringing up generosity in church, people kind of put it in a box. And we think, oh, here goes a pastor again talking about money. Here goes a church asking for more, all those types of things. And, and I actually want us to kind of explode that box if at all possible. I want us to recognize that, that the Bible speaks of generosity in much bigger terms than just dollars and cents. It speaks to a, a whole life which is his and calls us to. And so when we get to topics like this, they're actually revealers of what we believe. And the topic of generosity is simply a mirror that the Bible holds up for us to see our heart and the conditions of our heart. And so this morning... I want us to walk through this in a couple of ways. We're going to walk through this passage in, in 2 Corinthians. And then we're, we're simply going to ask a few questions out of it. We're going to ask, like, what is the text trying to say to us? What is the word of God speaking to us today? And then we're going to ask a second question, like, how is this actually a rhythm of grace? How is it not just a thing that I have to do, but it's actually a grace from God given to us for our good and our formation. And then finally, we want to we identify and say, where are those traps that I fall into with this? Where are the traps? But, but don't just leave it at traps. Don't leave it at just a, a bad and a negative. We actually want to see God's invitation in this because God isn't just saying avoid everything in your life. That's not, that's not the, the call of a Christian. That's not the call of God. God's actually inviting us into something really beautiful. He's inviting us to a life that is found and overflowing in him. And we want to see that even through generosity. So uh, I want to pray for you, and I want you to pray for me, and then we'll just dive into it. Father, we need you. I need you. I think our church needs you. We, we don't just need another list or another thing to do. We need you, God. And so we're asking for your grace 
today in our life. We're asking for your grace that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see. We're asking that you, by your Holy Spirit, would help us to understand these things. We're asking for your grace at work in in our life that would lead us to conviction where we need to be convicted. We're asking for your grace in our life to to shape us, to, to fill us with faith in areas that maybe we thought we believed but have been living a different way. We're asking God for your grace to, to, that we would actually see that our hope is found always and forever in Jesus Christ alone, our firm foundation. And so move us from religion and, and lead us right to the throne of God to form us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let, let's start with a picture. And so instead of just diving in, let's start with a picture. Most of you probably know what this is. This is the Titanic. And maybe you even know, maybe you've even seen this picture. This is the last photo taken of the Titanic above water. And that's important because like at this point, the people who were responsible for building it, the people who were responsible for sailing it, and probably most people who bought a ticket and got on that boat said, this ship is unsinkable. This ship is like beyond anything. This ship is out there. Now, listen, reality has something to say to this because like here's a tiny little vessel in a vast, vast ocean, and yet just the the moxie to say, like, yeah, nothing's going to get us. Nothing's going to get us. And yet we know kind of how the story ends, right? We know what's going on out there. We know that it ran into an iceberg and ultimately sank this day. We know that. What we often don't think about is that the people responsible for that ship and the people on board that ship largely believe things that indirectly or directly at times led to their death. And I bring this up as a picture for us because there's so many times in our lives in which we do really similar things. I came across a a survey recently, a survey of American adults 65% of American adults, this was taken in 2019, so a couple years ago, 2019, 65% said that they were Christians. Regardless of whether they went to church, regardless of all sorts of things, just identified as Christians. 65% of those people, of adults in America, identified as Christians. Only 33%, a third of those people believed that Salvation, going to heaven, was found through the work of Jesus Christ alone. Let that one sink in for a second. 20%, one in five, one in five just believed that Jesus, that Jesus was just going to open the door and say, everybody come, everybody come. Doesn't matter, everybody. Ali, Ali, oxen free, come. And friends, I want you to hear something very clear, maybe for the first time. Our hope in this world and the next is only found in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not through what we say. Not even for how we identify. 
It is always and forever only through the work of Jesus Christ. And my fear for us is that we're people who know how to talk Christian language and we know how to say certain things and that we would believe a lot of things that actually lead us to death while not following after Jesus. And that is where these rhythms of grace actually lead us in really good ways. Because they tune our hearts. They, res- they remind us things. And, and friends, if you're, if you're inclined to check out at the topic of generosity, I want you to pause and, and just kind of take a deep breath and recognize that generosity is a topic that the Bible gives us for our good, for our faith in, in leading us back to Jesus. Back to Jesus. And so I want to dive in here, and we'll jump in with the question that starts us off. It's like, what is the text trying to say to us? What is the text trying to say to us? Broadly, the text of the Bible, the big picture of the Bible is this story of Jesus, which is like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord with every ounce of who you are. Love the Lord with all of your stuff. Love the Lord with all your gifts. Love the Lord with all everything that he has blessed you with. Love the Lord with all that you hold dear, with your time, with your stuff. Recognizing that our Father is for us and he is good, taking care of us all the time. But in the regular rhythms of life, we start to miss that, right? We get distracted, we get forgetful, or we just don't want to pay attention to those things. We miss the reality that God is for us, that he's called us to all of life. And sometimes then we just reduce it to just like, yeah, I prayed a prayer once and I felt like I really meant it. I walked forward, I got the card, and so I'm good, right? I can sail any seas and I think nothing's going to shipwreck my life. But that's not the case. So what is happening here? What is the text saying? Right here we're in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, which implies something that there was a 1 Corinthians. We're going to get to that in the fall, and I hope you'll come back for that. We're going to walk through 1 Corinthians. But we're in chapter 9, which means there's stuff before this. And I want you to know that Paul talking about generosity isn't just here in these three verses in chapter 9. All of chapter 9 is about generosity. And it isn't just that. Chapter 8 spends 15 verses talking about generosity. And so this is a larger conversation amongst this church. And and so we're zeroing in on these three verses. But we'll kind of jump into some of these others here in a second. But focus in right here at verse 6 for a second. Because Paul, the Apostle Paul, writer of much of the New Testament, planter of churches throughout this area, in Corinth in particular, who is shepherding these people, gets direct right here off the jump. He says this, the point is this, like antennas should go up on that. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Now catch this, Paul speaking to a specific moment in this church, a specific, a specific moment in need that's happening, but it blows up past these people in Corinth. 
It actually goes to something far bigger because he says, what does he say in verse 7? Each one, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, or under compulsion. So that each one is important. But what I would say is really even more important than that each one is in his heart. Because Paul's not just having a, a nickels and dimes conversation. He's not having a dollars and cents conversation. He's having a heart and mind conversation. We need to catch that because it's really tempting just to reduce this down to money. And say, generosity is about money, and, and that's just another preacher talking about money. No, Paul is not having that, and neither am I. We're talking about this rhythm of grace of generosity, and let that explode out into all areas of our life. Paul's having a much bigger conversation. And I think this is helpful for us to actually reframe how this is a rhythm. I love, I love how Amy Carmichael references this. Amy Carmichael speaks to it. And may, you may or may not know who Amy Carmichael is. She was a missionary. I'll get to her in a second. But listen to these words. She says, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Again, don't put that in a box. Hear this, and let me tell you about Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael was a missionary to India in which she spent at least... At least 55 years loving and serving and going without a single return home trip. She said, my life is planted in this place and I'm going. All of me, every bit of this is going to serve these people. She spent her life forming and working in orphanages. In India for 55 years. And when she passed away, she passed away and wanted to be buried there. And the people that she said, I am here that they would know Jesus. She was there. And she said, I didn't, she didn't want a headstone. She didn't want any type of memorial marker or any of this. But the orphans said, we've got to do something. And so how do you honor this person that doesn't want to be marked by anything? What they did, they put a birdbath up with a single inscription on the birdbath that simply says mother in their native language. Mother. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving and I want you to see in Amy Carmichael an example of generosity that exploded far out of our little box of just talking dollars and cents. Amy Carmichael is an example for us. She's an example of following after Jesus. She's an example of Paul's words in another letter where he says, these people had become so dear to us that we were happy to give not only the gospel, but our lives as well. And when we talk about generosity, I mean, we're talking about something far more than pull out your checkbooks. We're talking about lives spent. We're talking about a gift that God has given us that so often we end up neglecting. We, we might be people who write a check, but we also might have so much more in time and talent and energies 
an experience to offer. And so how is generosity a rhythm of grace for us? How is this something for our good? Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, the second part of verse 7, it says for, and I'm going to draw your attention to that because as we walk through the Bible, we need to notice these connectors that come up. And especially notice when you get a connector at the beginning of a verse or a beginning of a sentence, that, that capital for that will come up next here in this for God loves a cheerful giver. And so here's the point. Whoever sows generously, whoever sows bountifully, will reap bountifully. For God loves a cheerful giver. And, verse 8, God is able. God is able to make all grace abound to you. You see those two things. God, God loves a cheerful giver. And oftentimes if you've heard a, uh, someone preach this, it comes up that, that the word cheerful actually comes from the same word that we get our word hilarious from. It's like God saying we, he delights, like someone who would delight in giving, someone who finds great joy in giving, who is actually overflowing with the desire to give. That's what's being spoken of, not just put a smile on your face. A, a, a cheerful giver. And it's where we, we short-circuit this rhythm where we, where we just kind of hold back and we, we are like, man, I guess I have to give today. I guess someone's shaking me down again. Like it, we miss the point, all of it, and we short-circuit how this is actually a rhythm of grace for our lives. That God has blessed us in all sorts of ways. He's blessed us to be a blessing. He hasn't just blessed you to have a happy life. He hasn't just blessed you so everything's easy. He hasn't blessed you so you have some sweet truck. He's blessed you and he's blessed me to be a blessing to others. To others, that's part of it. And yet it goes on. Here's the second part of verse 8. We pick it back up, so that, there's that connector again, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Man, you start circling those alls. Like God is exploding this out of a box. It's in all things. It's at all times. It's in every good work. Like, here is God, the one who is desiring us to do this from a heart that is cheerful, is also this God who is able to work these things in our lives so that having all sufficiency in every aspect of your life, not just one component, every bit of it in every place at all times with every person. Friends, let me just reiterate, we're not having a dollars and cents conversation. It's really important here that we not just focus on the cheerful giver part, but we also focus on that all-sufficiency part of it. That word sufficiency that comes up, having all-sufficiency. That word is interesting because in Paul's day and in ours, we are prone, we are drawn to be self-sufficient people. We put our pride in it, like, I can do this. I've got this in me. I am able. No one else is going to take care of that for me. I've got this. And yet the Bible says something that is entirely opposite of that. 
It calls us to community. It calls us to be knit together to one another. And it calls us to recognize that you are not sufficient to the task. You're not. But there is one who is able. There's one who is able. Paul's pointing these Corinthians to be free from want. He's pointing them to be free from the dominance of just seeking after stuff. And he wishes them abundance. He is, he's actually wanting that for them, that they would know abundance, but not just for their own sake, but to be a blessing to those around them. Our text doesn't stop there. It just keeps going on. It pours out. He quotes from Proverbs, or I'm sorry, he quotes from uh, Psalm 122 right here in verse 9. And then he picks it up again in verse 10. Notice what he says. He who supplies seed to the sower. Who is that? That's God. That's our great God. He who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will, not might, not can, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And not only that, as if that's enough, it's like God just overwhelmingly pours out and increase the harvest of what? You getting your dream car, you getting your dream job, your dream house, you getting the vacation that you've always dreamed of. No, your righteousness. You will, not can, not might, you will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will, not can, not might, will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You see, God blesses and it turns around and it leads to others blessing and thanking God. There's a rhythm to this. And let's just be really clear right here. God has no need for anything from us. He has no need for anything from us. He is not waiting around for it. He's inviting us to participate in his work, to be image bearers like him, the one who is the most generous, the one who blesses in abundance, the one who continually gives out a never-ending supply. This God is inviting his people to take part in his work, and it is not just, it's not just a financial thing. He's calling us to life of generosity. And my question is this. My question is this. Would your life be described with the words cheerful giver? Would your life be marked by generosity? And if not, that's not to beat you up. That's not to say, like, you're a bad person, like, you're a horrible thing. No, that's an invitation from God. It's an invitation from God to lean in, to turn to him, 
I love reading J.C. Ryle, old pastor from years ago, years ago. Uh, and yet he just kind of speaks from a different generation, a different time, and a different era in ways that are crystal clear. And he says this to uh, a people of America who often say, yeah, we're all Christians and however we get there is good. But here's J.C. Ryle speaking from an entirely different space and time saying, a tree may always be known by its fruit. And a true Christian may always be discovered by their habits, their tastes, and their affections. By the way they live their life. By how we are actually moving through the everyday spaces and places. Are we marked by people, as people, with generous spirits? And so let's kind of turn our attention to that last kind of set of questions. Where are the traps that we fall into? Where are the traps that we, we find ourselves kind of falling back and forth into again and again? I, I find this, and, and they're ripped from the headlines of my life, okay? So, like, I, I assure you there are more than I will name. I just want to name a couple that I think are probably uh, universal, or I hope that I'm not the only one in here. But I, I feel relatively sure I'm not. Where are the traps? And then the second part of that is where's the invitation from God in these things? And the first thing, as, as I was kind of sitting in this, what I started noticing in my own life and I'm starting to notice around me is that we, we feel this need, a trap common to so many, is to control our circumstances. Is to control our circumstances. In a world that seems to be swirling out of control all the time, in a world that's like, man, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so I better hold on to everything I can today. I don't know what's going to happen over there. In a world that is the next news cycle that's just going to rev us up into the next thing to worry about, it's like, man, i got to control my circumstances. And we start trying to control these things. But attempting to control is just a revealer of a lack of understanding of the nature of God and the heart of God. When I try to control all of it, 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 it's revealing something. It reveals that I don't actually understand the nature and character of God. And when I say that, I mean, I mean that God is in control and I'm not. And you're not. And your circumstances are not. And the president Whoever the president is, is not. And the courts are not. And the news cycle is not. And whether the weather goes our way or doesn't, that's not in control either. And friends, like when we start trying to control and we, we death grip the things in our life, which we can, I mean, it's coming out of a real place. It's a real desire. And there's, there's actually a sense in which there's, there's a beautiful sense in that, in which we're, we don't just want to live in chaos and be like, hey, whatever happens, happens. Here we go. No, but it's when we make control the Lord of our life that we're actually missing the point. We end up tight-fisting things. 
We end up like thinking that our plans are the centerpiece of everything in our life. And we start to do all sorts of weird things. So my plan, well, this is my plan, and I've got to get this happening. I've got to get my kid down at this time, and I've got to be at this, and I've got to get my kid into college. And all the different things that we start planning out and doing these things become the lords of our life before we even realize it until you wake up one day and you say, how did I get here? How did I get here? And we start to realize that, man, I've said this whole time that I'm a Christian, and yet Jesus isn't the Lord of my life. And so we, we step into this and we ask these questions. Like if we were to get real honest, if we were to dig below just our plans, if we were to dig below that, we might actually say, like, there's plenty of times in my life in which if I were to be gut-level honest, I don't actually want God to be in control. I want God to fix certain things. I want God to, like, clean up circumstances in my life. I want God to give me a lot of things in my life. I want God to help me and bless me and provide for me. I just don't want God to be in control. And you see, we're not having a dollars and cents conversation. We're having a grace conversation. And generosity is one of those, those things that God has wired into this world for our good. It's for our good. This heart of God is one of those things that we miss. It's like the nature of God. We start, our, our gripping of control leads us to miss the nature of God and the heart of God in it. But I want you to see this same Paul writing another letter to these, these Romans. And he writes this letter. Often this, this part of it often gets ignored because we run right to 12. People love the beginning of 12. And yet, here's the end of 11. Here's the end of 11. Notice what it says. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. That means God knows more than you and I. That means God's ways are right. Even though I often am like, well, this would be a perfect thing for you to do, God. Don't you know my plans, God? Aren't you aware of my plans? And why are you not working according to them? Here's Paul. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Answer, none. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Catch this. If you're going to get a tattoo today, this is the one. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Friends, you and I are not in control. We have a good and loving God who holds this all in his hands. And when we try to death grip control of every aspect of our life, we're actually revealing our own hearts, our own lack of understanding of who this God is. Let me tell you, there's never been one more generous than our God. There's never been one more generous than our God. 
Paul goes on and describes this generosity to these people in Corinth. And, and I told you chapter 8 speaks to this. Uh, the first 10 verses specifically go to it right here. But I just want to th- throw out a couple of them. And part of a longer section where Paul's describing to the Corinthians about the people from Macedonia, how they'd given out of like really horrible circumstances, that they were still this generous people. They saw it as a gift from God. They saw it as a grace from God. I want you to pick it up with me in verse 2 where we'll, we'll see this. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Like, please let us take part. We have, nothing, uh, we have nothing to offer other than just serving. And in, in, in. here are a couple of loaves and a handful of fishes. But let us be a part because that's who you are, God. Let us be a part. It goes on, friends, this is for our good. This is such a gift. The second thing I would say is not just our sense of control, but our, our searching for safety. And again, searching for safety is, is a real deal, but it's also a revealer of our lack of trust. So safety is this like uh, close cousin of control, right? They probably walk together through a lot of it. If, if we're going to read through Pilgrim's Progress, you'd probably see those two walking together. It, it, you've got these two things, which are both fine in their place. There's a place for plans and control, and there is certainly a place for safety. I buckle up when I drive home, okay? So, so should you. There, there's a place for safety, but safety's a really terrible Lord. It's a terrible Lord. It was never intended to be our Lord. And when we, when we put everything in the bucket of control and safety, then we reveal that we're not trusting God. We're not trusting in the work and the wonder of this God. We've stopped, we stopped paying attention to who he is, and we've stopped paying attention to what he is doing. Safety and control, those things go right together. It's God who is our provider. It's God who keeps us safe. It's God who is at work in this. And I'm not telling us that we, we should take needless risks. That's not, that's not paying attention to the text. That's not talking about what we're being called to. These people were in the midst, the Macedonians were in the midst of great poverty and great affliction. And yet at the exact same time, they're saying, please just let us be a part. Let us be a part of giving. It's God who is our provider. It's God who is the protector. It's, the, it's God is, who saves. And when we lose sight of this, we start doing all sorts of weird things. Let me give you an example. I'm not going to pick on any one particular group other than new parents right now. Okay, so let me just take a, a second on new parents for just a moment. Like new parents have this thing where it's like everything has to be, I got to keep this kid super safe. We're going to bubble wrap everything. And every bit of that is true. And every new parent, at least in America, feels that. 
But let that be a revealer. There is a reality to us trying to keep these kids safe. But God is the one who is right there. We watch over and we pay attention. We can do this as bad managers. We can do this as a boss. We can do this in our workplace where it's like, oh, I just got to do this. I need to make sure and, and not lose any of what we've got as a business. And people calling themselves Christians can do this just as well. We fortify our churches. We fortify our life so that no sin would ever reach us. The neighbor who uses words would never uh, touch these ears. And we hide ourselves and we pull back and we become ingrown out of a sense of safety while missing the opportunity to live generously and be a blessing to our neighbors and to those around us. We do all sorts of weird things. Maybe, maybe if we see ourselves clearly, we recognize that it's not something we were ever intended to control. God tells us to live generously. He tells us to go. And Christianity isn't just something that we say, yeah, I got that. It isn't just something that we add to our life. It's actually, one pastor puts it like this, it's an explosion that changes everything that you've had. Changes it. It changes how we walk. It changes how we do things. Generosity is like that iceberg that sunk the Titanic. And that there's so much more happening below the surface. So much more happening. Generosity is there. The iceberg that got the Titanic was, it was just part of the ecosystem, wasn't it? It was part of all that was going on. It was a reality that was ignored. The iceberg was part of God's creation. It was there for them, and it was not a bad thing in any way until it was too late and they missed it. That they misread the signs. It wasn't respected for what it was until they looked at it and thought it was a villain or some monster. And too often, that's exactly how we approach generosity. We're like, this is the thing I've got to do. Somebody's going to ask me about it. Last week, Bryce talked about flossing. The dentist is going to ask you about flossing. The preacher is going to ask you about giving, all these types of things. And yet the Bible does not speak of it in that way. It's not a monster. It's not something to, be, to, to just be ignored. It's actually an invitation from God for our life to walk with him, to love him, and to recognize that your generosity will never outshine this Jesus' generosity. Who, while we were yet sinners, went to the cross, nailing our sin to the cross. And that no amount of control that you can try to muster up in your life no amount of bubble wrap that you put around you, no amount of earmuffs to avoid hearing bad words or, or, or whatever the adapter is to filter out everything on your screen, no amount of that is gonna keep you safe. The only thing that will keep you safe is this Jesus. Not saying you're a Christian on a survey, not saying you're something on a Tuesday, but knowing this Jesus, 
It's Jesus who saves. And generosity is a gift from God for us to reveal our hearts and to lead us right back to this one who is far more generous than any of us could ever be. Would you pray with me?